You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. If you're as fascinated by the nervous system as I am, you may have heard the term somatics and wondered what it actually means and what it has to do with yoga. Hello, yoga teacher. Today, I'm delighted to share with you a conversation about somatics with Trina Altman, the author of Yoga Deconstructed. Though you may be familiar with Trina through her strong presence on social media, Trina is a dynamic and experienced teacher. She's presented at Kripalu, where I actually had the pleasure of taking one of her classes many years ago, the Yoga Alliance Leadership Conference and Momentum Fest. Her work has also been published in the Yoga Journal, Yoga International, and Pilates Style Magazine. Somatics is one of the disciplines that informs Trina's unique approach to asana practice. And during our conversation, we approach the topic from the perspective of how and when to incorporate somatics into yoga asana classes. Trina shares some ways that somatics crosses over into the experience of yoga, what makes somatics different from yoga, and how she recommends incorporating somatics movement into yoga classes. We also touch on the difference between somatic, i.e. non-aesthetic cueing and alignment-based cueing, and why each type might be helpful. And we discuss how somatics can be used to make yoga more accessible for people who are hypo or hypermobile or have persistent pain. So I'm really excited to share all of this with you and let's jump right into that conversation and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast, Trina. Thanks so much for having me back. I can't believe it's been three years already. It's like time flies. I know it really does. And you've been up to a lot in the last three years, including writing a book, which is a pretty amazing project. Yeah, I have. You've been up to a lot too. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, um, yeah, so much has changed and been developed over these past three years. So it's, it's been a a wild ride, a good ride. And I'm, I'm happy that my book is done and out and not on my plate anymore. It yeah. feels very good. It's a great feeling. It's been really cool to see how much more resources are out there for yoga teachers these days, because I think both you and I stepped up to fill a gap in education that is now pretty, pretty well filled. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll never forget um, when we first met and you were here in, in Los Angeles and we went to lunch. And I mean, this had to have been at least, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, maybe. And you were doing CrossFit at the time and talking about it, you know, and it's yeah, it's the but the past three years, I think so many of us that were um, taking advantage of all these different resources have started to feel like, you know, it's, it's just easy to share, whether it's social media or podcasts or writing. Um, it's, it's been a lot easier to share these things with, with other people than it was for a while in the past. And one of your passions is somatics, and that's what we're going to talk about today. 
So I'd love to hear how you first got interested in somatics and what about it really resonated with you? Yeah, I first started, um, I first discovered somatics because the studio where I taught uh, was called Angel City Body Kinetics. Um, and it was an interdisciplinary studio. So there was Pilates, gyrotonic, gyrokinesis, um, yoga. There was also um, a physical therapist there. And, um, and, and there was a Feldenkrais class once a week. And, or no, it was twice a week. I took it though once a week and I, I just really fell in love with the class because they're called ATM classes, which stands for awareness through movement. And, uh, each class was like a little puzzle where we did a check recheck. The check recheck could be something as simple as, um, she would have us just walk around the studio at the beginning and notice our walking patterns and how it felt and then we would do you know the entire class and at the end get up and walk again Uh, or it could be just something as simple as like reaching or she would have us stand up and just reach with one arm for the sky the ceiling reach with the other arm and then we do the whole class and recheck that and uh, you know the the movements are mostly ground-based and very small uh, subtle and exploratory but there's, um, there's a trajectory, like there's a linear um, sort of pathway from the beginning of the class to the end. And there's nothing random sort of about it, I guess you would say. And I just, with it, like with everything else, I would always be thinking about my private clients and my group class students that I was teaching either yoga or Pilates to and, and how this could really help them in so many different ways because it had helped me. So that was kind of the, the beginning, because that must have been maybe like 2012-ish, 11-ish. And then I started to explore some other different um, somatic modalities. So I um, explored Hannah somatics as well. Um, it's funny because my mom gave me the book by Thomas Hannah called Somatics, when I was, I think, 30 years old. So I was like 18 years ago, (laughs) almost 19 years ago. And I, because I was in a lot of pain from working desk jobs. And and I remember reading it and it was, uh, you know, I wasn't a yoga teacher then or anything um, related to movement, but I understood like the, the points that he was making because it was such a, a good book in the, in the sense of it was directed towards the general public, but it, you know, he included the science-y parts to um, help you, you know, it was kind of like neuroplasticity before anyone said that word, neuroplasticity, you know? Um, and, and so that that book had like little stick figure sequences in the back and I, that I remember playing around with, but then much later, say maybe like, I don't know, seven, six or seven years ago, I took a a workshop with a woman um, in Simi Valley, which is, is in Los Angeles, but to drive there takes like a good hour and a half. (laughs) Um, And it was, she was, she did the full certification in Hama Somatics and the workshop was, I think it was just called like, you know, yoga and somatics. And she had 
handouts and, and it was just an incredible workshop. So then I started kind of like digging into looking at some things on YouTube and, and you know how that rabbit hole goes. <laughs> um, and then the third uh, style of somatics that I began to explore was probably about four years ago, four or five years ago. Um, a friend and a colleague who um, was at Angel City Body Kinetics and then all, that studio closed and most of us moved to a, a similar studio called The Moving Joint. She started teaching an adult beginner modern dance class on Wednesday nights. And the first 45 minutes were um, Bartinia Fundamentals, which is also a, a type of, you know, somatics, but in the movement sphere. And I loved the first 45 minutes of class. I was horrible at the, <laughs> the modern dance part that came after. Um, but uh, I just, I really enjoyed it. And, and so the three types of somatic modalities are, you know, have a lot of similarities, but also have a lot of differences. And I can talk more about that. But, um, you know, it was sort of like I, I built up a little bit of a library in my body and my brain of these three different types of somatic movements. And, you know, of course, we're just sharing them in, in regular classes and, and private sessions. And then that kind of evolved into eventually incorporating into some of my continuing ed courses for teachers. And yeah, the rest is kind of history, I guess they say, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. So when you talk about your experience in those first somatic classes that you took and how there was this trajectory, yet all the movements were small and gentle, yoga has been moving in the direction of really focusing on the nervous system. As we have come to learn and understand more about the nervous system, we, I, I at least am hearing a lot more yoga teachers being interested in how our thoughts, our movement, our breath affects the nervous system. So it sounds to me like part of the magic here of the somatics is to create these experiential changes in your body without doing something that would at first glance seem like it would make such a big change. Is that what, is that what you experienced? Yeah. I mean, you know, like, I think if we go down the science rabbit hole of, of why one of the reasons, you know, why somatics can be so effective is because of what we know about pain science. Um, so, you know, when it comes to, just sort of the pain science basics um, and, and understanding about how, you know, pathology and joint damage that shows up through imaging doesn't correlate well with pain. Um, acute pain will generally correlate better with pers uh, better than persistent pain when it comes to tissue damage. And, and so gradually introducing and progressing uh, movements that are slow and small and um, you know, you're not dealing with gravity in a big way that don't cause pain can reduce the experience of pain over time, which you know, is called graded exposure and, and sort of physical therapy speak. And, and so as movement professionals, 
Um, we're obviously not going to work with people when they're in their acute pain phase. That's when they would be, you know, working with a doctor, a physical therapist. But there's a point in time when um, they're done with their physical therapy rehab, but they're not necessarily ready to like go take a hit class and do a bunch of burpees, you know, or maybe not ready to do a vinyasa flow yoga class. And so that's where, um, of course, preparatory exercise comes in, corrective exercise, strength and mobility drills. But there are um, a lot of reasons why somatics can also fit into that category, especially for, say, somebody who is just so sensitized in their tissues that even like a simple physical therapy exercise might be too much, you know, or combining the physical therapy exercises um, with the somatics, but maybe doing the somatics first just to calm the nervous system down. So it sounds like somatics are extremely helpful for persistent pain. Do they, are they equally or somewhat helpful also for ways that we don't move as well, even if there's no pain involved. Sometimes there's just restricted movement. Sometimes there's lack of sensation, you know, because pain isn't the only challenge that we have with movement. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so somatics can greatly improve um, people's interoception, but also their proprioception. So, you know, another theory of modern pain science is that we perceive pain in accordance with something called the virtual body or, or brain mapping. And um, whether there's pain or not, certain areas of the map can get smudged. And that might be as a result of pain, but it might be just as a result of inactivity. Um, and, and so, for example, if you think of like, clam exercises that you might do to rehab your hip in physical therapy. And, you know, you're going to feel like a burning in your outer butt cheek, right? Because you're working to strengthen um, the external rotators and the abductors. But say you were to do a somatic um, movement like hip drops and slides, which would be, say, you're lying on your back in constructive rest, your feet are on a slippery floor, maybe of socks on, and you let your knee drop out to the side, and then you straighten your knee, it slides out, and then you drag it back in, right? And so you're exploring a similar range of motion, um, but you're learning something similar. Like you're still learning joint differentiation and arthrokinematics, because in a clam, right, you don't want to um, like roll backwards. You're trying to just move the femur bone in the hip socket. And in the leg slide in somatics, you would have cues that are more exploratory. So like, let's notice what happens when your leg just plops out to the side and you slide it out and bring it back. You know, do you sense that your opposite buttock leaves the ground or that your pelvis, or maybe your pelvis doesn't move and it stays really steady? And then, you know, you maybe continue and say, okay, now like place your palms on your frontal hip points and let's do it again. You know, what happens when you let your pelvis go along for the ride versus what happens when you don't? And so this awareness of um, directions of movement, of how your joints can move, whether you want them to, whether you want to isolate versus integrate, um, can be taught through somatics. And it's a lot more relaxing, say, than learning it doing a clam. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then it seems too, though, that there are probably also some nervous system effects that aren't taking place in the conscious brain, but are still affecting our movement at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, just like with yoga, um, when you're relaxed, it's easier to learn. It's not that you can't learn new things when you're like stressed out, (laughs) but, um, you know, if, especially if there's pain involved, you know, um, learning new things can be impossible. And, and so getting into that relaxed state and, um, you know, I think one of the, one of my favorite things about somatics is, is something called, um, constraints. So if you think about, um, there's a exercise or a movement called palm slides where you're lying on your side in a fetal position. Um, so your knees are bent and you have your arms straight out in line with your shoulders and your arms are straight and your palms are together, like in prayer. And you would roll your head and chest forward and back which means like that top hand would end up kind of sliding along the inside of the bottom forearm and sliding, you know, maybe past the bottom hand towards the floor. And then if the cue is, um, you know, keep your top elbow straight, right? That's a constraint. It's going to limit how much thoracic rotation is available. And in yoga, a lot of times we're doing the opposite, right? When we do a twist, we're trying to, twist everywhere, right? In our, if you think of like half Lord of the Fishes or Arda Matsya and Drasana, right? You're turning your head, your chest, your rib cage, your belly, um, you know, one hip's an internal rotation, the other's an external. You've got one hand on, on like the outside of your thigh, the other hand's on the floor, and you're even turning your pelvis. And, and so in that situation, you're going to just rotate wherever you have the most rotation, which isn't a good or a bad thing. It's just what you do. But sometimes when people are, you know, have pain um, or say like they're doing too much of the same thing and they don't have enough variability in their, their movement practice, they get, you know, an injury or whatever, learning about how you can just rotate certain areas of your spine um, and isolate versus again, that same idea of integrating and maybe allowing for follow through Um, you learn in just a completely like chilled out, relaxed way um, where there's no like, you know, anatomy lingo or Latin or looking at pictures of skeletons. (laughs) You're just, you're learning it in your body through movement, which I think is really amazing and, you know, gets me super excited. Yeah, I think that's an incredible way and an incredibly important way to learn about our bodies by being in them. Because I think that having, you know, sort of the brain knowledge can only go so far, but we really, because we're talking about that, that physical aspect, we have to, we have to live in it to to really understand it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first place my mind goes is to my husband, you know, he's a musculoskeletal radiologist and he knows the body very well. All he does all day is look at MRIs, CT scans, x-rays, teach residents. Um, but because he lives with me, you know, oh, we've been together 18 years, he, you know, watching him become more embodied over all of these years, just from being around me and being forced to 
like, you know, hear all the conversations and um, it's been, it's fascinating, you know, to just see how they're two different things. They can overlap, but they don't necessarily overlap. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, going back to the somatics too, and, and even like that palm slide movement, you know, I talked about how your arms are in line with your shoulders, but say in a Feldenkrais class, um, you would point your arms like at every different diagonal. So you might have them pointing up towards your face and doing the slides and then, you know, down in line with your shoulders, point them down towards your pelvis. And so um, the variability of where the rotation is coming from wouldn't just be like, okay, neck, rib cage, you know, low back, pelvis. It would be like rib cage, but you know, upper part of the rib cage with shoulder blades in upward rotation and, you know, mid part of the rib cage with the shoulder blades mostly protracting, retracting versus arms pointing down. And it's going to be rotation more towards the lower area of the, of the rib cage with the shoulders in more of a downward rotation. So you can get really specific. And that level of detail would probably be kind of excruciating in a, um, in a more active <laughs> type of practice, don't you think? It's like, it's the very relaxed nature of it that almost even makes it possible. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, that's why I've just always been a blender, so to speak, you know, like I teach, when I teach, say, a somatic sequence in a Pilates class or a yoga class, it's going to be the first 10 minutes. Whereas if you go to a Feldenkrais class, you're going to be doing that for 60 minutes. And I understand that not everyone wants to do that kind of movement for 60 minutes. But I have found that a lot of um, my students love doing it for the first 10 minutes. Um, you know, it just kind of helps them uh, transition from like, well, when we used to drive places, you know, driving in traffic and parking and, <laughs> uh, you know, going from that sort of fight or flight state into a more relaxed state and then kind of ramping it up again into, you know, what you would normally do and say a yoga class or a Pilates class. Yeah. Well, speaking of the blending, let's explore the difference and the similarities between yoga and somatics. And I know yoga, wow. Like when we say that word, <laughs> there's so many different things we could picture, but you, you know, we're talking about a pretty educated audience here who understands yoga very well, but may not understand somatics very well. Right. Yeah. And so I always like to start off with um, somatics is just as broad of a term as yoga. So we know in yoga, some people will say, I do yoga, and they mean that they do bhakti yoga and they, they chant. Or um, they say, I do yoga, but they're referring to, you know, mostly pranayama meditation and Ayurveda. And somebody else says they do yoga and they're referring only you know, to asana. And it's the same with somatics. So the word is very broad in general. And, and when I'm referring to it, I'm referring to it um, in terms of somatic movements. But um, you could also say somatics and be referring to body work like rolfing. Um, you could say somatics and be referring to psychotherapy 
you know, like somatic experiencing with Peter Levine or, you know, be enrolled in a PhD program in somatic psychotherapy to get your PhD. And so I always like to make that clear when I'm talking about it, I'm talking about the movement branch of somatics, of which there are just as many uh, sort of methods and styles as there are in yoga, believe it or not. And just um, to rewind for a second, the yeah. word somatics, not everybody might be familiar with that term. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, so somatics is a field of study that's derived from the Greek word soma. Um, and then within the context of movement, somatics can be defined as how the mind and body are perceived from within to self-correct and heal. And so Thomas Hanna used the term somatics as a way to define his approach to uh, mind and body integration in order to define this field within movement education. So he kind of, um, you know, was one of the beginning pioneers to say like, okay, how can we um, define what somatics uh, is in terms of movement education? In terms of like a research perspective, somatics, um, relates closely to and crosses over into the field of um, interoception, which, you know, and proprioception, which of course then brings us to like, how does somatics cross over into yoga? And quick question, when we talk about mind-body integration, that's like for any yoga teacher that's immediately going to flash like, wow, that sounds like yoga. So do you know any of the somatic, did any of the somatic pioneers study yoga or were they coming up with this independently of the body of knowledge that was already out there? Right. Oh gosh. You know, I mean, nobody comes up with anything independent of anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Good point. Yeah. Point taken. yeah. Uh, I mean, yes. You know, when you, when you think of, of like Krishnamacharya and then, you know, the three pioneers that studied with him, um, it's exactly, you know, and how they were influenced from everything from, you know, their background in India, Swedish gymnastics, you know, um, uh, all, all kinds of uh, martial arts and um, physical training. Uh, yes, the same for, you know, I know the most about, about Moshe Feldenkrais, Armgard Bartinieff, and Thomas Hanna. So I could tell you more in depth about their backgrounds. You know, Thomas Hanna studied philosophy and neurology, <laughs> which I think is really interesting. Um, and Moshe Feldenkrais was like a judo black belt and in just an engineer and a physicist. Um, <laughs> so, and then um, Ermgard Bartinieff um, was a dancer and a physical therapist. But, you know, they were all around during this boom of yoga coming to the West. So there's no way they couldn't have been, you know, influenced by yoga, I would think. But, you know, I don't have like specific documented you know, the, I can recommend a book uh, that I think would probably help everyone out. And it's a book by Martha Eddy. And um, her last name is E-D-D-Y. And it's my favorite book for like, if you just want to understand all the different um, types of somatics and the genesis of them, um, it's, it's a great place to start. Great. Okay. So tell me more from a personal perspective. What 
overlap did you experience and where did you see, wow, this is different? Yes. So um, the cueing is completely different. The cueing in somatics um, is inquiry-based rather than aesthetics-based. And I think both are really important. Like I, I think, um, you know, cueing in terms of physicality and aesthetics and alignment is just as useful as cueing without any of those things. Um, so that would be the first way I would say that they are very different from each other. Somatic exercises are, are you know, really slow and subtle, as I mentioned earlier, and they're, they're made with an intention to generate sensory information and attend to that information in a mindful way, which isn't necessarily different um, from yoga. But uh, I think because you are on the ground so much, there's so much, you know, what, what I would call closed chain kinetic feedback that um, you enhance proprioception and, and there's a lot more movement variability in somatics than in yoga. You know, it's um, not that we don't th do things in yoga lying on our back. We do. Um, but, you know, in yoga, there's an intention to create a specific alignment within a pose because we have, we're visual creatures. And especially at this point in time, right? I mean, maybe in the 80s and 90s when yoga was super fringe, you would say to somebody, what does a down dog look like? And they'd be like, what are you talking about? But now if you ask, what does down dog look like? Pretty much everyone knows what that shape looks like. Um, whereas in somatics, there are no pictures of any shapes. And so um, I think the learning is, is just very different. Um, in somatics than in yoga because of that. And um, that would be the first way. The second way I would say is in terms of the stretch reflex versus pandiculation. Um, so yoga asana re relies heavily on the stretch reflex, right? You know, we are stretching and, um, you know, we get to a certain point and our body might say like, oh, okay, don't go any further, right? Um, because you don't generally go any further than this and you might not have strength here. And, and um, that's different from the pandiculation techniques that appear in many of the somatic schools of thought. So um, what's I think so cool is that a lot of students come to yoga with this desire to become more flexible and reduce muscle tension. And the same results can occur with somatics and sometimes people who don't get that result from yoga are able to get it from somatics. So tell us more about this term pendiculation because that's not a really common term. So um, really simple, like you can do it right now. If you, hopefully you still do this as an adult, but I, we all did it as kids and our cats and dogs do it. You know, when you first wake up in the morning and you reach your arms overhead and like you stretch and you're tensing. I'm doing it right now. That's why my voice is changing. Um, <laughs> I'm doing it too. <laughs> right? yeah. I'm in my chair and I'm like, holding my right wrist with my left hand and I'm reaching my arms up to the ceiling and I'm kind of wiggling my ribs side to side and letting my shoulders go up to my ears, creating some tension and then just letting it go. That's pendiculation. Yawning happens when you yawn. That's kind of a, you're tensing, right? You're stretching your mouth and then you just let it go. So is it tension and then release? Yeah, but you know, different from say like, um, PNF, 
right? Mm -hmm. Where you're maybe contracting in an isometric way, you know, with appendiculation, if you visualize like a, a dog or a cat when they do downward dog, you know how they don't just like statically hold the position, mm -hmm. kind of see like a little bit of wiggling and um, so hard to describe in words, but you know, if you, you visualize it, that versus say, like just a picture of somebody doing down dog in a book, one has a little more movement, I think, than the other. Oh, that's so interesting because when I do down dog, there's lots of movement. <laughs> I'm, me too. It would be so <laughs> rare for me to hold a down dog in a static way. Yeah. I was just actually, it was, I think the first thing I did in my movement practice this morning and there was lots of moving and it just feels so, it feels exactly like what you're talking about with the first thing in the morning stretch where it's like, oh, it's so great to be here. Oh my God, this is amazing. But yeah, so in somatics, in addition to like pendiculations, um, there's a lot of rocking, there's rolling, um, there's a lot of pauses for body scans throughout the practice. Um, there's a lot of working with constraints, like I mentioned earlier. So, uh, you know, it's, and of course, you know, the movements are, are smaller, um, versus in, in yoga, they're bigger. Although I would say I always describe, I think the reason why I love teaching somatics from the three, um, approaches that I mentioned is Feldenkrais is, I call it like baby bear. Cause the movements are very, very small. And then Hannah's somatics, I call like mama bear <laughs> movements because they're bigger than Feldenkrais movements, but they're still smaller than Barteneyev movements. So Barteneyev, I think of like Papa bear. Um, and so if you are a teacher and you know, your students really don't like to do small, tiny movements, um, but you want to teach somatics, I always recommend the teachers start teaching the Barteneyev fundamentals to their students rather than say Feldenkrais. Um, and then of course there's the opposite, right? There are students who love to do like little tiny, small movements. You're basically adding more tools to your toolbox, right? As a yoga teacher, you are here to help people. That's, that's the passion. That's why we get into this line of work. And so it makes sense that if there are some other ways that other tools that you could use to help your students, well, you would want to have those tools in your toolbox. Why would you want fewer tools instead of more tools? Because yeah. the more tools you have, then uh, the more custom you can make your experience to the actual people that you're working with. So, no, I think that's super interesting. And, and I love hearing about those differences between the three types that you study, the three, three types of somatics. Yeah. Yeah. For example, like if you've seen people doing X rolls where, you know, they lie on their back and they're making an X shape and then they start to roll in kind of a pendiculating way, mm -hmm. um, that would be uh, Bartenia fundamentals. It's, you know, it's like a big shape mm. um, versus say, you know, if you go back to the palm slides in that I was describing in Feldenkrais where it's a very small, you know, movements. What has, what has been some examples, some personal examples from your students and your teaching of how you've incorporated somatics and what have the results been for your students? You know, I think a lot of uh, feedback that I've gotten from students and teachers over the years when I incorporate somatics is just a different 
kind of relaxation um, that, that they haven't experienced before. And, and when you think about, um, you know, how we were talking about how we like to wiggle and move in our down dog, um, you know, there's the practitioner that I think really appreciates things like restorative yoga and seated meditation, which is a lot of stillness, but still going, you know, inside and, and looking for the relaxation and, and the sense of calm. But there are other people <laughs> like me um, and, and a lot of my students that, um, would prefer to do these small, slow movements and kind of achieve the same type of relaxation that you might also get from something like restorative, where you set yourself up in a like really propped up way that feels super relaxing and then you just kind of melt into it over time. So I think, you know, it's kind of like, do you like chocolate? Do you like vanilla? Um, and, and so I've found that people have had that response of like, oh, wow, you know, I like restorative yoga, but sometimes it's hard for me to be still. Uh, but this really helps me relax or, um, you know, say in comparison to ball rolling, like I get so relaxed when I roll on the foam roller or on massage balls, but I learned so many different things about movement um, from doing the somatic, so to speak. So it was like a similar type of down regulation, but a different takeaway of learning. And what a great extra piece for those who teach gentle yoga and restorative yoga to be able to help more people basically, because let's say, okay, you teach restorative, but you do have those that segment of the population who can't just show up and relax in stillness. Mm -hmm. But if you were to do somatics for 20 minutes and then lead them into restorative, right? There's nothing uh, opposite to restorative within this, this framework. Everything is leads to the similar nervous system downregulation. So you could really reach more people that way because you know, those people who ordinarily would have been the ones who tried restorative and were like, no, not for me. I can't relax. Right. You know, you kind of ease them into that state and then they can probably enjoy the, the restorative even more. Yeah. And same thing for the ball rolling. You know, some people really love the ball rolling and other people don't. But, um, you know, a lot of times I would always joke and say, you know, I love teaching ball rolling because I'm, I'm basically teaching Feldenkrais, but you think you're getting something else, you know, done <laughs> because there's a ball there. Um, you know, so there's, there's like, yeah, you could do all three, like a workshop where you have ball rolling, somatics and, and restorative. But I, you know, I also use, you know, I just taught a 12 hour continuing education online um, immersion over this past weekend. And one of the things I taught um, was a sequence where our check recheck was a sun salute. Um, so we did a sun salute and then we did two uh, short somatic sequences, one that was for upper body and one that was for lower body. And then we rechecked the sun salute. So um, yeah, I think, you know, you can stay sort of in the super relaxed zone with the somatics, or you can really, um, you know, one of my favorite things to do is to tie it together with, um, you know, more challenging, say, upregulating types of movements to help people have new insights in, in that way as well. I love that. So 
fun and kind of a, a different approach than what is expected. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, we're used to, say, maybe doing um, check rechecks for Sun Salute with like a corrective kind of preparatory exercise or maybe a therapy ball sequence. Um, but yeah, it's just like another tool, like you said, you know, to do and those check rechecks are, I know, you know, cause you teach them too, right. They can really kind of hit a new message home for people that, that can be very helpful. So for yoga teachers who are listening today and they are intrigued with somatics, where would you recommend that they go? I know you have this book by Martha Eddy, but where else would you recommend that they find more resources and education about it? Yeah, um, I taught a 12-hour online um, course for Yoga International, and it's called Creative Sequencing with Somatics. And um, it's available at a self-paced, you know, you can do it self-paced. So I, I taught it live, but then they like did all the super fancy editing and it's, you know, so now it's just available forever for anyone. Um, and I think that's a great option if you're a yoga teacher and you kind of want to dip your toe in the water and get like a big broad overview of how to incorporate somatics from those three pioneers into like a regular asana class, you know, whether it's a flow class or a, um, a hatha class. And um, what I did in that training, you know, I am not certified in any of those three modalities, um, but I offer tons of resources of, you know, where to go to just, you know, head down the rabbit hole. Like you might discover, wow, I want to do the whole like, you know, three year, $30,000 Feldenkrais training, you know, (laughs) I've got all the info on that, Um, you know, or like do the full movement analyst training of Le Bon Bartenieff, um, you know, which is, I think, uh, three years as well. Um, There's a full Hannah Somatics training um, that I think is, is about two year program. So, so yeah, you know, the, I, I put that all together, you know, as kind of a, a way for yoga teachers like me who didn't want to take eight years of, you know, regular weekly classes to figure out how to, you know, add this into their yoga um, teaching. There's also a ton of information in the, the training about each separate modality and, and where to go to, you know, do the full on like somatics training in each uh, discipline. Awesome. So as we start to wrap up, is there anything that you feel like we've missed that we haven't talked about in the realm of somatics that you think is really important? A message that you just want to reiterate or emphasize? What I've discovered from, from teaching the somatic, the creativity, um, creative sequencing for somatics training and talking to so many of the teachers who took it was that um, they loved learning about the inquiry-based cueing for somatics, but they also started to incorporate it into teaching yoga asana. So they'll tre- teach their yoga asana the way they have always taught it with um, you know more alignment-based cues, but they're adding in the inquiry-based cues And then it's been really um, helpful for their students because in in terms of empowerment, especially, um, and and not, uh, you know, 
a lot of students who only take yoga and think there's like a right and a wrong way to do every single pose. And no matter how hard you try to make sure that they don't think that, um, you know, it, it, it's, uh, they, they do. Yeah. And, and they've had a lot of luck or, um, you know, they've had some wins with introducing the inquiry-based cueing that they learned from the somatic sequences and kind of sprinkling it into their yoga asana teaching. I think that's such a great balance because our words have hidden meanings and our students are not necessarily receiving the messages that we think we're sending. And so by sticking to these visual cues, these anatomical cues, these alignment-based cues, a lot of times the students are constructing this notion of right and wrong in their heads that is very difficult to unwind <laughs> once it's been planted there. Because I think that, you know, we're kind of predisposed to those types of perceptions because that's safe, right? If we understand right versus wrong, good versus bad, then we can feel safe. So to invite them into a space of inquiry is is a challenge. It's, you know, it's something that isn't necessarily what they came to class for. Mm -hmm. So to, to weave it in more consistently throughout the entire class, I think can be really helpful for planting the seeds that we actually want to be planting. Yeah, exactly. And it, it can be as simple as, you know, say you're teaching warrior two and like the first time you teach it, you say, what you would normally say, like line up the, your right heel with the center of your left arch, you know, bring your arms out to the sides horizontally, wrists in line with shoulders, you know, turn your head to look at your front hand and bend your front knee to 90 degrees. And then you can like teach it again later in class and be like, okay, now I'm going to, you know, teach the same pose with, um, and make it, uh, more of an exploratory, um, experience. So, you know, come into maybe how you uh, normally come into warrior two and then notice what would happen if you turned your head and looked at the backhand instead of the front hand. And how does that feel in your neck and shoulders? Um, you know, maybe you point your front toes towards the corner of the mat instead of towards the center of the mat. And, and how does that change what you experience, um, you know, feeling wise into your knee and your hip? And, and then just kind of, you know, going from there so that they, you're not taking away anything, but you're, you're also opening them up to, to new options. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this has been really interesting. I have taken somatics myself. It's been a few years, but you're your descriptions are definitely inspiring me to want to experience more of it for sure. And this is, this conversation is just a part of your new book, which is about an interdisciplinary approach to yoga asana. So if yoga teachers listening are interested in learning more of the full perspective of your approach, where can they find your book? Yeah, you can go to my website, which is just my name, trinaaltman.com. And then there's a tab that says book. And it'll take you, you know, right to 
to buy it. Um, but you know, if you're already on Amazon and want to go there, it's there. Um, you can also order it directly through my publisher. If you're not a fan of Amazon, um, you know, there, there are other booksellers online as well, where you can get it from. So, but yeah, easiest is probably just to go to my website and click on the book. The, the last chapter in my book is um, sequences. And so I do have um, professionally edited and filmed those sequences because I know I'm one of those people. I really, I like to read about movement and look at the pictures, but then when I want to move, I don't want to look at a book. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, if you go to my website on that same page, you'll see the link if you are interested and want to purchase the, the videos of the sequences. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Trina. This was a really fantastic conversation and I appreciate the care and thoughtfulness that you put into all of your research and all of your teaching. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you and everything you do for yoga teachers. I am in continu continuously in awe because I, I know I, I in your Facebook group and I listen to your podcast and uh, yeah, you, I've learned so much from you over these last three years in all kinds of ways, business things and teaching things. And so, um, so thank you. A conversation with Trina has me feeling really excited about somatics and the way that it can merge so well with the goals and intentions of yoga. If you're a regular podcast listener, you likely know how fascinated I am personally by the nervous system. I remember a few years back when I was considering going to PT school, I took a college level anatomy class and was blown away by the complexity of the nervous system. And there's a part of me that really wants to immerse myself in that topic until I feel I actually understand it because it's literally that complicated. If you've ever tried to wrap your brain around how neurons actually send electrical impulses through the body, it can make your brain hurt. But I digress because as fascinating as those details might be, on a practical level, what really matters is what we can learn from the nervous system and how we can influence it. And I think that both yoga and somatics have important roles to play in both of these areas. For example, yoga's emphasis on non-reactive observation puts us in a really great place to notice what's happening in our bodies. Trina and I didn't get into this, but I imagine that there's a similar emphasis in somatics. Where I think yoga really has a lot to offer is through the vast philosophy and the mental training practices that back up this intention. Where I think somatics becomes really helpful for yoga teachers is in the techniques that bring balance to the nervous system through this minimal effort movement. So for this week, I invite you to explore some somatic inspired movement inside your own yoga practice. This could happen either at the beginning of the practice or at the end, depending on what you prefer, but it's basically just fluid movements that are incredibly slow and minimal effort. Then let me know what your results are of this personal experiment. You can tag me inside the yoga teacher resource, Facebook group, or tag me on Instagram. And if we're not connected either of those two places currently, you can find them by searching yoga teacher resource on either platform. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for caring enough to teach yoga.